Well, are you ready to continue our series? And today I've come to the second last beatitude. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. It's been such a uh, wonderful journey going through this beatitude, you know. And as I go through the beatitudes, I'm also allowing the beatitudes to go through me. And, and hopefully you transform all of our lives. So I'm going to invite you once again, go with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start reading from verse 1 and just capture this whole uh, beatitude again. Matthew chapter 5, reading from verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Lord, once again, we ask that you open our eyes to behold the truth of your word. Lord, as we unpack this beautiful beatitude of being a peacemaker, we realize that we are never more like God than when we make peace. And so we invite you this morning to come and speak to us. And Lord, allow your word to transform us from the inside out. Lord, we don't just want to hear and, and appreciate and understand and enjoy your word, but Lord, we want your word to transform us. And Holy Spirit, would you come, bring revelation to our spirit man. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. This was the verse that actually uh, served as a driving force behind the freedom movement that Martin uh, Luther King started in the United States many, many years ago. With this concept, of non-violence, Martin Luther King took to the streets, and we all know the story. He was singing hymns, he was um, demonstrating for equal rights for both the blacks and the whites. But after being hit and, and beaten and kicked again and again by the police, many of the African-Americans began to, to question the effectiveness of non-violence at that time. They questioned it, and some of them actually begin to turn to black power and instead started using violent means to try and demand for their rights. But I want you to know that Martin Luther King never changed his stance. He, he stuck to Matthew 5, 9 uh, to be peacemakers. And as riots begin to break out all over America, ranging from Los Angeles to Chicago to New York, King traveled from city to city just calling out for love. While everybody was crying out for revenge, he was calling for love. And the breakthrough finally came in Selma, Alabama, uh, when the African-Americans were marching across a bridge, singing and praying and, and, and just praising God. The police chief in that city decided to let loose the police on these unarmed demonstrators. 
And with police sticks, they just went around hitting everybody. Blood was spilling all over the place. But the amazing thing was this. None of them retaliated. None of them retaliated. And as a result of this incident, the American public was shocked into realization as they watched the entire episode of violent injustice on national television. At the end of that whole thing, it led to new laws of equal rights being established in the United States of America today. As Martin Luther King have once said, the real goal, and this was when he started this whole, whole movement, he said the real goal was not to defeat the white man, that's not the goal, but to awaken a sense of shame within the oppressor and challenge his false sense of superiority. The end is reconciliation. The end is redemption. The end is the creation of a loving community. And that was exactly what he achieved in the end. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. We are never more like God than when we make peace because we serve a God of peace. How many of you were amen that? That's the God that we serve. And this morning, what I want to do is to unpack for you this beautiful beatitude by outlining for you three key truths about peace. Okay, here are three key truths about peace. Number one is this. We need to realize the origin of peace. The word peacemaker in Greek is erona poes. You know, erona, uh, er, uh, irena poes. It's very difficult to pronounce. <laughs> it's, it simply means this, one who makes peace. And you will notice that it's actually a compound word. It's made out of two words, irene and poi, poio. Okay, it's make out two words there. And the word irene actually means peace. Okay? And the word poene actually or poio actually means to do, to make, or to cause. Now the Hebrew equivalent of that word irene would be the famous word shalom, which we are all familiar with. Okay, that's a Hebrew equivalent. And when you put the two words together, it tells you this, that it is actually an action word, peacemakers. It's actually an action word. It's a performance word. The peacemaker, therefore, is one who causes or brings about peace through his action. So who is a peacemaker? The peacemaker is one who causes or brings about peace through his actions. And how many of you know that this is exactly what our Lord Jesus Christ came to do on the cross? He was the ultimate peacemaker. It was because of his action. He was the cause. He brought about peace between us and God. That is the starting point, brothers and sisters. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 and uh, verse 12 and 13. Listen to this. Remember that at that time, the apostle, the apostle Paul says that you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away has now been brought near by the blood of Christ. Hallelujah. All of us were at one time separated from Christ. We were outside of the covenant that God made with Israel. All of us were without hope, all of us without God, but now, hallelujah, we who were once far away has been brought near by the blood of the Lamb. How many of you, hallelujah to that, isn't it? We were once far away, we were at enmity with God. 
But Jesus came and He brought about peace so that now between us and God, we are at peace. How did this happen? The Apostle Paul drilled deeper into this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. Listen to this. When you were dead in your sin, that's the problem, right? When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. Then He has taken it away, nailing it, to the cross. Brothers and sisters, we were once dead. Every one of us were dead. Dead in sin. Not physically dead, but spiritually dead. We were dead in the sense that we were separated from God. We had no relationship with God. We had no communication at all with God. Why? Because of sin. Our sin separated us from this God. We had no relationship with Him. We were cut off from Him. We cannot even communicate with God. But God in His grace made us alive in Christ. How? By taking our sins upon Himself and then He paid for every single sin you and I committed with His precious blood. The nails that went into His hands and in His feet, they were payment for my sin and for yours. And because of this, we are so grateful to God. We were once separated. We had no communication. We were cut off from God. God took everything. And those nails, they were not the things that held Him to the cross. Jesus was held on the cross not by the nails, but by His love for us. And He paid every sin. He paid for every sin. He paid our debt. He suffered our death so that we can now be forgiven. Hallelujah. And this is what he has done. That is why today, you and I can lay claim to 1 John 1, 9, right? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive. It's not may forgive, can forgive, should forgive. He will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This verse promises us, and that's why we can lay claim to it. If we confess, God will be faithful, God will be just to actually forgive us. The question is this, you know, faithful to who? Just to who? It's not us. You know, so often when we read the Bible, we project ourselves into it. <laughs> we are so centered even in our reading. We assume that God will be faithful and just to us and forgive us of our sin. No, we deserve nothing but death. If God is fair to us, if God is just to us, we deserve nothing but death. But I tell you what, God will be fair. God will be just. God will be faithful to His Son, Jesus Christ, and what He has done for us on the cross. And because of what He has done on the cross, God will not nullify what Jesus has done. God will be fair. God will be faithful to what His Son, Jesus, has done for us on the cross. And He will forgive us on that basis. On the basis of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, we now found peace with God. Hallelujah. Ephesians 2.14, that's why Paul go on to say this, for he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of division between us. Through the redemptive work of Christ on the cross, we have now been reconciled to God and the dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles, between the people of God and the people not of God has now been broken down. 
and we have become one new man in Christ, reconciled through the cross. And because of what Jesus did on that cross, peace has been established. And that word peace here in the Hebrew is the Hebrew equivalent of shalom, which actually means this, to have that kind of peace, irene, right? To have that kind of peace, shalom in the Hebrew, actually means harmony. Harmony with God, harmony with others, and then harmony with nature in that order. So when God reconciled us, He reconciled us not just to Himself, He reconciled us to one another, and He reconciled us also to nature. You see, when man fell into sin in the Garden of Eden, we lost harmony with God. Not only that, we lost harmony with each other. How many of you know that? Huh? And nature itself has fallen. So I like Isaiah 53, verse 6. Listen to this. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now you read that verse carefully. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. So what happened was, here's God. Okay? And when man fell into sin, what happened was, originally Adam and Eve, Right? We have relationship with God. But because of sin, all we like sheep have gone astray. Astray from who? Astray from God. So we've gone away from God and each of us have gone his own separate ways. Which means to say that not only did man fall, when man fell into sin, not only did we go astray from God, we also become estranged from one another. There's no more harmony with God, no more harmony with one another. And all of creation also fall. And when God restores us, He restores not just my relationship with God, but He restores our relationship with one another. Are you with me? See, and through what? It's the gospel. He Himself has become our peace. Someone said it this way. No God, no peace. If you know the Lord, you will know peace. And that's why Ephesians 2, 4 says, He Himself is our peace. He is our shalom. And this is the reason why, brothers and sisters, when two Jews meet in Jerusalem, this is how they greet one another. They say to one another, Shalom, Shalom. And you know, they always said it twice. Once for the inner man and one for the outward man. And what they're trying to say is that if you have God, you have everything it takes to live life in His fullness, lacking nothing inside and outside. See, we have harmony now. Because reconciliation to God is the key to true peace. That's why we need to keep coming back to the gospel. The only starting point of real peace is to get right with God. That's why the gospel of Jesus Christ is what we come back to again and again and again. And I want you to know, my friends, that we are not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. Peacemakers, if we are true peacemakers, we will present Christ as the Prince of Peace, the chief peacemaker. Hallelujah. That's the starting point. And that is why the world often can see us because the gospel is the key, right, to, to peace. That's why the world sometimes sees us also not as peacemakers, but as troublemakers. 
uh, because the gospel, the message of the gospel uh, is foolishness to this world. And I think that is why Jesus gave us the eighth beatitude in verse 10, you know, blessed are the peace, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it's true. Okay, but this is the only way in which we can come into true peace, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, but that brings me to my next point, the opposition to peace. The origin of peace is Jesus Christ and what He has done for us on the cross. But the opposition to peace is not war. The opposition to peace is sin and self. That is the greatest opposition to peace. Do you realize that the Bible started in peace in Genesis 1? It started in peace. And you know, it will end in peace in Revelation 22 when God restores all things. But in between is where the problem is. In between, you will find wars and conflicts and disharmony. Are you getting this? It starts in peace and it will end in peace, but in between is where we need to deal with this. In between is where the conflicts and the wars are. So I want to invite you to go with me to James chapter 4, verse 1 to 4, where I think the Apostle James really described this so well for us. Listen, this is where the opposition to peace is, okay? So go with me to James 4. Look at verse 1 to verse 4. This is what the Apostle James wrote. Where do wars and fights come from? Where do disputes and, and quarrels come from, uh, from amongst you? Then he goes on to say this, do, do they not come from your desires for pleasure that wars in your members? This word desire for, for pleasure in the Greek is the word hedonon, from where we get the term hedonism, which is basically this. The, the hedon, hedonism is a philosophy in life that says the pursuit of pleasure is the ultimate, is the ultimate aim. So people who are hedonists are people who pursue pleasure at all costs. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's the, that's the philosophy. Okay? And he says, don't they come from your hedonistic pleasure, your desires for pleasure, that war in your members? You last and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and you war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask amiss, and you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers, adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. What a description, you know, of the world. What a description of what's going on. Now, you notice one thing. From verse 1 to 3 of James chapter 4, you notice one word that keeps coming up. One, there is a pronoun, which is you or yourself. That, those words, you, yourself, came up 16 times. Is that right? 16 times it came up in three short verses, which means this, you know, the focus is entirely self-centered. It's all about me and myself. It's all about you. And, and that, whenever you see self-centeredness, wherever you see such selfish behavior, it is a seedbed for conflict. It's a seedbed for disharmony. In fact, if you look at the word sin, right, S-I-N, you take the I out, there'll be no more sin. That's what the problem is. It's the big I that is the problem. Now, I love this story that was told about two guys, and about um, this guy who was in a train cabin, you know, and he was traveling. And he shared a cabin with two ladies. 
uh, same cabin. And it's turning out to be a terrible experience because these two ladies were fighting throughout the journey. Okay, the lady that is sitting closest to the window is arguing that we got to keep the windows closed or else I'll die of pneumonia. And the lady sitting far away from the window said, we got to keep the window open or else I'll die of heat stroke. And so throughout the journey, one lady opened, the other one come and close, open, close, open, close, open, close. In the end, they started quarrelling. So the ticket master got to come in and try to resolve the issue. So she tried to mediate the whole thing, but the two ladies just won't budge. So everybody was holding on. So in desperation, this ticket Master turned to the guy sitting in the same cabin and said, now, what do you think? And this guy said, I'll tell you what I think. First, you open the window and then you kill the first one. Then you close the window, you kill the second one. And then I'll finally have some peace. (laughs) Now, you tell me, what's wrong with that whole thing? Every single person was self-centered. Everybody wants to have their own ways and that is the problem. How do we end up with quarrels and fights and conflicts and all this dispute? It's because everybody wants their rights. Nobody's willing to let go. See, the believer who is living in sin, self-centeredness, you can never be a peacemaker. You'll be a peacebreaker because sin and self is the enemy of peace. That is why you notice, blessed are the pure in heart came before blessed are the peacemakers. Because without a pure heart, with a heart that is self-centered and selfish, there will be no peace. Without purity of heart, you cannot be a peacemaker. Now, let me show you this. Isaiah 32, verse 16 and 17, the prophet Isaiah was actually prophesying about the, the coming rule of the Messiah. Okay, and that's in the Old Testament. He was prophesying into the future and already seeing how the Messiah will come and that will change everything. And then you listen to what he said. He said, The Lord's justice will dwell in the desert. His righteousness lives in the fertile field. The fruit of, of that righteousness will be peace. The fruit of that righteousness will be peace. Its effects will be quietness and confidence forever. My people will live in peaceful dwelling places, in secure homes, in undisturbed places of rest. And what the prophet is telling us is this, the fruit of righteousness is peace. Where does peace come from? Peace comes from righteousness. Without righteousness, there can be no true peace. It is not peace at any cost. It's not peace at any price. No. No, peace doesn't mean that we will all become pacifists, you know, and that we'll all take the middle road and we'll never take a stand on anything. No, that's not peace. Peace comes out of righteousness. We always choose to stand in a place of righteousness. You see? And the fruit of righteousness is peace. No righteousness, there is no true peace. So the only way in which we can live in God's shalom is when we are willing to deal resolutely with sin and get right with God. And Jesus did it through the cross. It was the cross that did it. So you read Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Listen to this. Therefore, Paul says, since we have been justified through faith, we now have peace with God. Where does peace come from? It comes from this. Because we have been justified through faith. 
through the redemptive work on the cross, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, I got good news for you because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Today, we can be filled with the peace of God and the hope of our salvation. And the best news I have for you is this, that the day will come when all wars and conflicts will cease. And in the end, when we reach the end, we will be totally redeemed, fully sanctified, utterly glorified, gloriously perfected, completely made whole in Jesus Christ. See, we started in peace in Genesis. We will end in peace in, Genesis, in Revelation 22. In between, God set up the cross and He made it possible for us to be reconciled back to Him. And we found peace with God. Hallelujah. And that brings me to my final point. What is the outcome of peace? Now that we have become recipients of the peace of God, what is the outcome for us? What then should we do? So listen to this. The origin of peace is a right relationship with God through the gospel, right? The opposition to peace is sin and self. We know that, okay? But through justification, the war is now over for us as believers. We have found peace with God. We're no longer at war within ourselves. So Philippians 4 verse 7 now tell us this, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Because we have received this shalom from God, this peace from God through the cross, through, through, through the gospel, we must now let the peace of God rule in our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So what then is the outcome? I think the outcome is this. As a result, all of us must become peacemakers. What do you think? Since you have received peace, we must become peacemakers ourselves. Colossians 3 verse 15, the Apostle Paul says this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Since the peace of God is ruling in our hearts, we become carriers now. We become givers of peace. In what way? I think Isaiah 52 verse 7 is very instructive. The prophet Isaiah says, How beautiful on the mountains are those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. Brothers and sisters, every time you and I preach the gospel to others, we are making peace. How many of you agree? Every time we share the gospel with people, you know what we are doing? We are becoming peacemakers because the gospel is the ultimate origin of peace. So we preach the gospel like never before. Every time we preach the gospel, we are becoming peacemakers. The prophet in Isaiah 52, 7 was speaking of the day when Jerusalem will be delivered from captivity. I understand that. That's the context of it. But you know, the apostle Paul applied this verse to the preaching of the gospel in Romans chapter 10, verse 15, where he says, How can anyone preach unless they are sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring 
good news. So if you ask me, we started in peace in Genesis 1. We will end in peace in Revelation 22. In between, what should the believer who, has be, who have experienced shalom with God now, what should we be doing? I think we should become people whose feet are, is beautiful, bringing the gospel of peace to everybody. This is what we should be doing until our Prince of Peace returns. We should be carrying out the ministry of reconciliation, preaching the gospel wherever we go. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 to 20, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. We all experience that. And then what? He has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses or sins to them, but has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are now ambassadors for Christ. As though God is pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In between, there's one thing we must do. We take this gospel and we plead with our friends. We plead with the peop- our loved ones. We plead with the people far away from God. Be reconciled to God. And this is the way to do it. Come to Him. And that's what we are doing now. We should be preaching, sharing, gossiping the gospel wherever we go. And pleading with people, come, come, come. Be reconciled to God. Therefore, brothers and sisters, every one of us here, we have now become ministers of God's peace through the gospel. So that's one thing we must do, okay, is to become a peacemaker by preaching the gospel. Here's the second thing. The other metaphor we see in the New Testament is this. Ephesians 6, verse 14 and 15, uh, when Paul was talking about putting on the armor of God, he said this, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, we all know that as we go through life, there are many things that will stand in the way. There are many challenges we all have to face. And one of the things that the Apostle Paul taught all of us to do is to put on Christ, okay? It's put on Christ so that we can, we can take on life, okay? Put on Christ. And he used the, the, the analogy of a Roman soldier and the uniform of the Roman soldier to bring out the different aspects of Christ. And one of them has to do with the shoes, okay, the footwear of the soldier. Now, so what does it mean here as we read about how our feet should be, short, should be shorted with the gospel of peace? I think here in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is actually talking about one of the instruments or one of the the armory of the, of the soldier, which is his footwear, his sandals. And so if I can, uh, I, I hope my drawing is clear and doesn't become something else. Okay, this is supposed to be the feet, okay. <laughs> okay. And he's talking about the sandals that the soldiers wear. And what's interesting, the sandals actually go up all the way to the calf, not like our shoes today, it goes all the way to the calf and it goes down all the way here. And then it, it has spikes at the bottom. Okay, and the reason for this is because the soldier, in order to be able to wield his sword well and to, and to hold his shoe and defend himself, he needs to wear sandals like this and, and, and dig in. The, the spikes is for him to dig in so that he could hold his stand and then he can fight well okay, and to dig into it. And what the, what the, 
the Apostle Paul is telling us to do is that, you know, when we put on these gospel shoes of peace, we are standing on this gospel of peace. The only way to peace with God. Then he's also teaching us that whatever our circumstances, okay, no matter how big the attack may be, no matter how the enemy may attack, we must dig into this gospel of peace. And our aim is always to sow peace. Are you with me? Whatever the situation and circumstance may be, however people may attack you, however people may, may speak badly of you, no matter how people may you know, uh, uh, abuse you, we dig in to this gospel of peace. And our aim is always to establish peace. And the only way that we can do that for true peace and shalom is to surrender to the will of Christ, the Prince of Peace. So when people offend us and people insult us, hurt us, we choose still to respond in love and we dig into peace. Are you with me? We advance by the gospel, but we also hold our position because the world is never friend, can, may not be friendly to us. And we've got to learn how to dig into this gospel of peace. And wherever we go, we preach the gospel and we also sow peace wherever God has planned us. No matter how people can come against us, we go the way of peace. We choose not to retaliate. We dig in, we stand firm on this gospel of peace. And where there is evil, we choose to love. Where there is resentment, we choose to forgive. Where there is pain, we comfort. Where there is offence, we choose to overlook. When there are insults thrown at us, we choose to reconcile. We are digging into this peace that God has given to us. In short, we go in the opposite spirit. I like the way that Gandhi, the Indian leader, puts it. He says, if we live by the philosophy, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, there'll be many blind and toothless people around. And it's true. If we always have to retaliate, if we always have the eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, all of us will be blind by now. Or toothless at least. <laughs> yeah, you, you get my point. Uh, have you watched Forrest Gump before? And there's a huge, beautiful scene in Forrest Gump where one scene where he took his girlfriend by the name of Jenny and they went to visit Jenny's old house. Okay, the, the house was already uh, abandoned. But he took Jenny back to visit the old house and there, standing outside the old house, memories came back flooding into Jenny's mind and she became increasingly angry and upset. It's because when she was young, living in that house, she was, sex she was abused. Okay, and because of that, as she stood there and all the memories came back, she got more and more angry and upset. And so what she did, what he did in the end, she started bending down and taking up stones and throwing it at the house. And she was throwing one stone after another, one stone, another, with more and more, you know, more and more vigorously she was throwing the stones. And then Forrest Gump, typical, you know, <laughs> he looked at what the girlfriend is doing and so without even understanding, he bent down and he picked up some also throw. And the two of them were throwing one stone after another, one stone after another, until they were totally exhausted, both of them collapsed to the ground. Then in typical country-style wisdom, Forrest Gump turned to the Jenny and said, you know, sometimes there just ain't enough rocks. <laughs> sometimes there just aren't enough rocks. And that's so true, isn't it? Sometimes there just aren't enough rocks. There must come a point when we decide that enough is enough and we just let the rocks fall to the ground. And then we let God take over. 
we let the injustice, the hurt, the pain, the anger, the frustrations go and we let God take over. We put on the gospel shoes of peace. We dig in and we stand. Sometimes we just have to do that. And as God's children, we stand always ready. In this in-between time, we stand always ready to proclaim the gospel of peace and then to establish peace wherever we go. We sow peace wherever we go. But what is the key to do this? What is the key to this? I actually think that the key is rooted in the wisdom of God. How do you become someone who could sow peace, earn the right to speak the gospel? I think it takes the wisdom of God. And I'll tell you why. Because in James chapter 3, if I could just close with this. In James chapter 3, verses 17 onwards, I want to read for you these two verses and listen to this. And this is the burden that I have for all of us this morning. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure and then peace-loving. Notice again, uh, blessed are the pure in heart and then blessed are the peacemakers. The wisdom that comes from above is first pure and then is peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And then James ends with this, peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. You know, sometimes the world we live in, the people we work for, etc., our workplaces can sometimes be toxic, isn't it? Some homes can be toxic. Some organizations can be toxic. And relationships there can be very, very challenging. What does it take, you know, to be a peacemaker in toxic situation? I think really, it takes the wisdom of God. In James chapter 3, James actually contrasts earthly wisdom and godly wisdom. If you read the passages before, it will tell you that earthly wisdom always result in chaos, disorder, conflicts. And then he begins to tell us what godly wisdom is like. And then if you notice the things that he listed there, right? Pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, merciful and all that. There is one string, you know, that ties up all of these virtues. And the one string is this. Where you find godly wisdom, people get along. Where you find godly wisdom operating, people get along. Is that true? If everybody has a heart that is pure, with no hidden agenda, if everybody is peace-loving, Right? If everybody is considerate to one another, if everybody is submissive one to another, if everybody is full of mercy, merciful, have good fruit, impartial, which means fair, sincere, if everybody is like that, then guess what? People get along. Am I correct? Why do people fight? Why do people end up in, in, in toxic situations like in circum relationships? Like? It's because godly wisdom is not operating there. Earthly wisdom is operating. I guarantee you, where you find homes that are at war, where you find organizations where there's lots of conflict, you know, where you, even in churches where you find a lot of conflicts, I guarantee you one thing earthly wisdom is operating. But if we have the wisdom of God, we will know how to be peacemakers. We will know how 
to actually bring about peace and then earn the right to share this wonderful gospel of peace because He is the origin. If we all were to commit to this, God give us your wisdom so that in toxic situations in my workplace, in my organizations, wherever I am, in my family, I'm going to sow peace. I cannot be part of that system. I got to be outside of it. And then I'm going to be the peacemaker with the wisdom of God. And then we earn the right to actually tell them the ultimate key to peace is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And I think this is what we need to do. We start in peace in Genesis. We will end in peace in Revelations. But in between, what do we do? We all become peacemakers. We sow peace wherever we go with the wisdom of God. And then we preach the gospel because it is the key to peace. True peace with God and with one another. Amen. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.